In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, and I have Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer to help me with this intro. Dave and I did a show with Mike Tenay uh, on Wrestling Observer Radio yesterday, so if you are interested in the Hall of Fame, I'm sure you're already subscribed, but if not, go to WrestlingObserver.com and subscribe. That show was, uh, I don't know if it was an all-timer, but I feel like it was one of the best ones that we've ever done. I love that show. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike's great and he's got incredible knowledge of, of wrestling history and, and in a, a, a very level headed perspective on everything. And, um, I thought he was great. And, you know, we talked a lot of current news too. You know, I mean, he's, it's like, he knows that, but he keeps, he totally keeps up with everything. You know, I mean, so many of the people like older and stuff, they, you know, like they know their era, like, 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 the, you know, they know it completely, but they don't really keep up and, and he keeps up. He watches, you know, everything. Sometimes he fast forwards through it, but he, he's well aware of everything that's going on in, in, in AEW and WWE and New Japan. So, um, yeah, great, great, great guest. And obviously anytime, anytime we can get him to do a show, we will. And I bug him. I will bug him about it constantly. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do it more, you know, cause he was a little trepidatious at first and agreed to do it. And I think if nothing else, you know, hall of fame season next year, I think he's on board. So <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- that can be like a, a yearly hook or something, you know, the, the pre-show and then the post hall of fame show. But it's, he's, he was so good to the point of where I was just like, man, I just want to send him a computer and a microphone and just say, put this in your closet it until you need it so we can get off the you know get off the landline phones and actually you know the audio will be a little bit better but the audio was fine as well it wasn't it wasn't uh, that that bad so i was i was happy with it though i like i and the thing about your hall of fame that i think is really cool is when you have somebody like him who studies the baseball hall of fame I that's my thing, too, is I, I, you know, I want to talk about this in the same way that reporters would talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame or cover the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like how many times it's taken someone to get in or what the percentages were or why, you know, why did it take so long or why was it so quick for someone to get in? So I like covering it in that way, because that's all the stuff that I read growing up about the Baseball Hall of Fame that made it so special to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm. That's what when I had the idea. That's what I modeled it after was the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know. And I didn't want it to become silly. And I know Baseball Hall of Fames had its questionable inductions, and that's why I really like. I really want to keep the quality of the people in up, which is so far happened, and it probably always will. But I'm always like, um, you know, I mean, I think that if it's you know, it's like 
I don't want the veterans committee, you know, getting real lax. And, and, and I think that's one of the weaknesses of the baseball hall of fame is that there's certain time periods where the veterans committee just threw out like every name that was kind of famous from that era. And then they're all of a sudden all in. The Mazeroski one was the one that I remember the most because of his statistics weren't fantastic, but he has that home run that is, you know, just one of the most famous home runs of all time. And I always wondered about that. But one he when was, came to the he hall of was, fame. He was really good, though. I mean, I know like his batting stats weren't the best. Yeah. But but um, I mean, you know, he played for a long time. He was wasn't wasn't he like considered like the best fielder in that position? Yeah, I think I think he was like, you know, a top level infielder and, you know, team leader and all that stuff that matters on the field that you can't really measure as well with. Yeah, you know, yeah. Cause I, I when you just throw out that name. Um, I don't that name to me is is not a weak name for the hall of fame. I mean, you know, Harold Baines is, is, is though. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that, uh, someone sent us last night. And then the other one was when we were thinking of the June Akiyama comparison, uh, the person, someone reached out to me on Twitter and said, Eddie Murray, you know, he played for 20 years and finally hit those statistical, uh, you know, numbers that usually get you into hall of fame, which is 500 home runs, but it took him a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the thing with baseball is, is that you've got like that, whatever it is, like, you know, if it's 2,500 hits or 500 home runs or 450 home runs or whatever, that kind of, you know, are that whereas with wrestling, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like you've got your slam dunks that everybody knows and, um, you know, but really I think that most of the guys who get in, um, pretty much meet the criteria because i think it's more honestly i think that the, the i get i get tons more questions tons more on why is x not in as opposed to why is x in you really don't get too many and and even like this year like when when the balloting was over my first thought was is oh my god when this issue comes out you know everyone's you know all the anti kenny omega guys are going to be like saying stuff and it's just like gonna be a day of hassle like not a big deal but it's just a day of hassle for me and him and him both and it really didn't happen that way i mean it was like um yes was there some there of course but there's oh but that wasn't but it was way 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 less than i thought maybe you know maybe Cornette will will lead a charge real soon and short circuit over it but you know well, i mean he's got to sell his podcast so yeah <laughs> that, i mean, that, I mean that'll, that'll be good fodder for his podcast yeah but i mean it's 60 percent of the vote and and the thing is is when i wrote the stories up on everyone i mean it was very clear to me that the weakest of the four was akiyama but we're akiyama you know, makes it is 28 years as a great worker and still today and still, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, that's a lot of longevity as a great worker, you know, from day one till the age of 51. And even though like he's got a bad back and all of that stuff, like when, if he needs to turn it on, he's in good enough shape that he can. He's a great, great athlete. I mean, he had one of the best first matches ever. And I mean, he was main eventing Budokan and, and in the finals of the tag team tournament, um, you know, as a true rookie, which is unheard of. And, you know, so it's like, and he always, always, always really good. So it's kind of like, you know, that intangible of being a great worker does get him in. And with the other ones, um, I mean, I when I was done writing about the other three, it was like, they're, they're no brainers. I mean, Omega's really a no brainer when, unless you just have this thing of, um, you know, some people think it's too early. And I, I do want to talk about that because, 
I know people, a lot of people think it is um, as far as like, you know, a guy still in the middle of his career. But to me, I mean, the problem with wrestling is, is, you know, you can't wait till they retire because nobody ever retires. Mm-hmm. Um, you can wait longer, but I feel with wrestling and I feel very strongly about this is that wrestling is about time and place and what things are when they are. And the longer you go with judging someone far away from their prime, the worse the judgment is. I would rather you judge people in their prime and what the standards are and what the business is at this time, as opposed to 15 years from now when you start trying to do this look back and it's people who don't really understand how the business was different in this year and the, the um, you know, what, what, um, what different people offered that are not necessarily right on paper as far as, you know, when you get older, it, it, people start looking at championships and and those are kind of, you know, they can be misleading and the drawing power stuff for the older guys. It can be misleading, but it's there. But with the guys now, it's just a different thing. It's not like you can go in there and go, well, you know, like they they were going around the country and drawing 12,000 people. It's like especially this year. But even even in recent years, it's so much brand and touring. And yeah, I mean, Omega did move numbers and everything, but, you know, the idea of looking back in 20 years and going like, oh, you know, in Chicago for Ring of Honor where they were doing six, seven hundred people. And then he comes in and sells twenty one hundred tickets in two days. I mean, that's going to twenty one. That's not going to mean anything. But at the time, when you look at it, it's like he was real. That's that's real significant number. That's 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 actually actually significant drawing power. And also what's what's interesting about that, though, is who else? Other than you covers that, because if if not for you, we wouldn't have known the connection between Jericho and Omega and what that meant for the streaming business and the U.S. fan base for New Japan, as well as the connection to Tony. You know, that connection to Tony Khan thing would have come out. But like because you cover that information, it's almost like people are like, well, you know, D- Dave, Dave covers it because it's Omega. And, and that's why, and that's, you know, but it's it, you're you're not covering it for Omega. You're covering it because that's what the business is. And that's w- where the numbers moved. Yeah, that's where the numbers. I I mean, I did see like one story that where someone just goes, well, you know, it's his friend and he picks all these people to to vote who are going to. And, you know, it's like that's just ridiculous. You know, as far as like the people who vote are the same people who vote, you know, for the most part, there's there's anyone who votes, you know, is going to get a ballot next year. I mean, that's just how it is. And there'll be more people who are reporters. I, you know, I mean, I I would I would like everyone who um, has a ballot to be someone who reads The Observer, but that is is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly like with, with people who are active in the business, a lot of people are, but a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people don't get it. And I, you know, I, I see that, but I, I just know that when I wrote the, the, the Omega story up, it was kind of like, I mean, I had already de- figured out, you know, that, that in my mind he was, he was in, I mean, when you really look at like, you know, maybe the best singles match ever, maybe the best tag match ever, but you know, again, every wrestler of the year, it, 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 you know, you know, has has gotten in all the other awards, all the matches of the year. And I mean, it's not like it's you go like, oh, well, you know, it's a couple of years. But he his first match of the year win in Japan was in 2010, which is 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and he's been, you know, had unbelievable matches on the indie scene before the new Japan and in all Japan, you know, when he did those uh, tours and in new Japan, you know, with with Prince David and Taguchi and all that with when he teamed with Kota Ibushi and the tag team with Kota Ibushi is 
you know, actually one of the best tag teams I've ever seen. And the tag team with Paige may, you know, I mean, they had a great run. I mean, and, and people considered that a bad year. And it's like, you know, he's probably going to win match of the year, if not second and tag team of the year, if not second. Um, so I, you know, not to mention those, those, you know, every, you know, everything from 96 on, or, I mean, oh six oh sixteen on. When we did the, when we did the preview show and we talked about Omega, my thought was, because of AEW and because of the fact that AEW at this point is a really big success, you cannot use that against him. And he's got more visibility. He's on TV where before, if you wanted to just not pay attention to the Japan stuff, you could. But now you can't not pay attention to who he is and where he is. And so I thought because of that extra visibility, I thought he would get in. But you were right. And I was wrong. Well, because I, 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 all I heard from people was just like how this year proved he really wasn't any good. And it's like, what are you watching? But it became it became a narrative because it was not a year like he had in Japan. I mean, for sure. But he was still one of the best. And, and again, the other thing is, is that the Jericho Omega match, you know, if, if you really think about that Jericho Omega match, I mean, what match we actually should do this. And I actually you know, maybe maybe I can convince Mike to do another show, but do a, a show on the most important matches in wrestling history, because if you look at, again, like the idea that it spawned a promotion and, and it was never designed to do that, it just happened to do that in its own weird way that ends up, you know, not. And, and even if it hadn't, the, the way it, it increased the visibility of New Japan business in the United States, that's I mean, what what matches have had that much effect on the wrestling landscape, I mean, ever, I mean, like, yeah, you know, there, there are some, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I would never, I would never say it's number one, but I mean, it's, it's in that discussion list of what are the most important matches in the history of pro wrestling as far as shaping the, uh, you know, the overall system, so to speak. I mean, it, it, it changed things. I mean, you could have, you know, matches that you say like Flair Steamboat that, that were fantastic matches, but did they seismically shift the industry? I mean, not one of them did. I mean, they're, they're matches we talk about, but if you take them out, you know, history doesn't change. If you take, if there's no Omega and Jericho match, New Japan is a lot smaller than it is. Um, I think that there's no AEW for sh- almost for sure. 98% for sure. There's no AEW and Jericho, you know, is, is in WWE as a mid card guy, putting guys over or, or he's out there touring, just saying, fuck it. I'm touring. Yeah. Yeah. He's a musician, you know, one or the other. He's not, he's, he's not having this career Renaissance year that he had last year and AEW doesn't exist. And John Moxley is going to be in WWE making all kinds of money and being freaking miserable as hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you know, I do wonder what Moxley's career would have been like, because, he is uh, pretty close with Barnett and Barnett is, is, is a bit of a renegade when it comes to this stuff. Like Barnett could have been in, you know, other promotions as well and just just did, you know, what, what you said, kind of just be unhappy. But he, you know, he stayed pretty much independent and in control, though, you know, so it's, sometimes he actually got kicked out because of the steroids thing. But I do wonder if Moxley would have just been this like. This, you know, the top indie star or, or whatever and just gone and just done his it, own it, thing. It, he, he, you know, especially, with, you know, he may have been like, uh, 
Kenny Omega, you know what I mean? And, and, and gone to Japan and, and, and been just a big superstar there and worked indies between Japan or, or maybe worked, um, you know, like maybe ring of honor or impact or something, you know, to, to, to do with, 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 you know, more control of what he, he's done. Yeah. I think that's, I, I do think that that's a strong possibility too. And you know, the one thing that I've even said was a negative was because I thought Omega was someone who is just so different that if you strapped the rocket to him in AEW, he could have, you know, really been a, a, a big time player in the U.S. immediately and establish AEW as a little bit different. But they didn't go that way. How much should be considered when it comes to stuff like the Hall of Fame, where he could have just gone in there and been like, I'm going to be the champ day one. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But instead, he pulled back. He put over Moxley. He's helped make Paige into uh, a superstar. That stuff, it just doesn't really seem like it. it, it is. Uh, we're able to sort of value that when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah. And maybe in time, we'll, you know, you can look back and, and throw that in. But that's that type of stuff usually doesn't help you in the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? So he did it. I mean, the thing with with all of AEW, and it's kind of a debatable thing, is that because of the nature of their fan base and the nature of a lot of the fan base now is every one of those executive vice presidents, I think that everybody thought it's going to be their playpen and they went in the other direction hard, you know, um, with like, you know, like we were not going to be dusty roads. And that's probably where Cody's whole mentality of not being world champion comes from is because he knows with his father that because his father was the booker and, and, and kept himself as the top baby face and was criticized like crazy, especially when the company was on its way down, you know, then, then he really was that, you know, he doesn't want to be that guy. And maybe, you know, look, he knows Dusty better. Maybe, you know, maybe Dusty has looked back at those, you know, with hindsight and gone, look, you know, this is the mistakes I made. And Cody, you know, more than anyone in the world um, would know that because Dusty, you know, Dusty and Cody were real tight. I don't think people kind of know um, how tight they really were in the sense that because with Dustin, um, you know, Dusty was running around and he was he was wrestling every night and he was always on the road and, you know, just like everyone. But when Cody was growing up, Dusty's career was pretty much over by the time Cody's like six, seven years old and he's booking for and everything like that. And it's, it's but he's but he's home. And I mean, they spent years together every weekend watching college football and pro football and Dusty's teaching him this stuff and Dusty lived through him. I mean, I remember guys I know that when in NXT, when Dusty was still alive and they would say that, um, you know, like Dusty would be miserable on Tuesday if, if Cody wasn't used well on raw. I mean, it's like, he would know like if Cody got to win on raw or he, or he was used well, then Dusty would come in and he was all happy. And if he didn't, you know, Dusty would just be absolutely miserable because that's just how, how tight they were. And I mean, it's funny because, you know, that's another subject. So, you know, it's like that maybe someday we should talk to Cody about, but um, you know, when um, I wonder, cause, cause I believe and I've, again, I have talked to Cody about this some. I believe that Dusty would have argued for Cody to stay and not leave and argued hard for it um, and would definitely have argued about not going to work for AEW with the, you know, the billionaire who says he's going to do stuff and everything like that. But on the flip side, um, if Cody would have not listened and made the decisions, 
right now, I think Dusty would have been like the happiest man on earth (laughs) (laughs) because his son, his son is excelling at what he taught him and, and, and not, not, and not just, I'm not just talking about in the ring. I'm talking about, you know, you know, being an executive in a company and, and working, um, at that level and, um, you know, perhaps, you know, you know, like revitalizing Dustin's career as well, you know, because that's another one. It's like, look at Dustin on Monday. Um, like if he was in WWE, I mean, never in a million years is he having a match like that. Yeah. Yep. No, and, and it's, it's been great to watch, especially for longtime wrestling fans who saw Dustin in the early 90s and always were just like, you know, he's this close to being somebody. But he, having that that name, I'm sure, didn't help him when it came to getting to that next level because of, uh, you know, just the backlash. But man, like in I'm, you know, I'm watching WCW 1992 and I'm going to I want to ask you something about this era in, in a second. But like he's fantastic. He's he's, oh, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. He was always a he was always a great worker when he was younger. And and the only time he really wasn't was when he was having issues and weight problems and stuff yeah. like that. But but for the I mean I mean what's amazing with him and I mean he's smart too because I I think that when you are fifty years old and you're in wrestling, I mean the key to me is is you've got to go you got you you got to be light. Because you're going to slow down. And the one thing Dustin is, is that he's so much lighter than before. So he really doesn't look slow in the ring. You know, it's like he's out there and and all his stuff looks great. Um, You know, and and if he was like 290 or something like that, where a lot of guys, you know, that are six, five and they get older and they just put on weight naturally. If he was, you know, and, and, and everything, even even 260, 270, I think he would be like not good at all. But, well, he, you know, the thing about him is it, it, they don't they don't do this, but he's just about the biggest guy in that company. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of the biggest guys in the company, you know, him and him and like what Brody Lee and and um yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they don't have I mean that's another thing too, but they don't really emphasize his size so no, much. No. Um it's not like he's he's he doesn't work like a giant or a tall guy. He just works like he's a great worker. And you know, you can put him in any scenario and and like, you know, when they had that Young Bucks Cody and Dustin match which I mean did have the disadvantage of of being on a muggy night and it was a long, long show and they went like 30 plus minutes when, you know, on a different and on an indoor show, it might've been, it might've worked. But if you just look at Dustin's work in that match with these guys that are much, much younger than him, that are our new style. And he hung with them the whole time. Dustin was never for one second, a drawback in that match, you know, and, and you know, that's, that's saying something for his versatility. All right, let's take a break to talk about Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical, and Indeed is here to help. I know at my company at Nextdoor, we are not going back into the office at least, I think, July was like the earliest that they said. Um... Uh, the the people team uh, at my company said so it is reshaping the way that we work um indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to comscore indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going and now indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly 
delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So check it out, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. And the offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Uh, so if you haven't, if you want to listen to more stuff about uh, that, like the Hall of Fame, check out that show on uh, WrestlingObserver.com. Uh, we went almost two and a half hours and I was able to finagle the file size so that we didn't have to post it in two parts. So check it out. It's a it's a longer listen than usual. But uh, all the feedback I'm getting back was people were like, I could have had like another two hours of that show. It was so good. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm very ha- I'm very happy that people I'll tell you a little se- I tell you a little secret after after you left. Me and Mike talked for another two hours. <laughs> I figured that was going to happen. <laughs> I, that was my whole day yesterday. That's why I, I still haven't watched like all of UFC because <laughs> Mike and I just kept talking. Although we did not talk a lot of we did not talk a lot of wrestling. We talked some. We talked other subjects, but yeah, when we get going, it's just like you know a lot of politics and a lot of uh, a lot of other sports. We talked a lot of baseball, actually. Well, we we kind of went into a different uh, a different area right at the end where we did talk about baseball and I, that's like I was like I kind of want to c- continue this but the, I was thinking in the back of my head if we get to three hours I'm there's no way I'm going to be able to fit this all into one show right so. right well I'm glad you I'm glad you you got it in because um I when it was over it was just like there's no way you can get this in 90 minutes how, <laughs> how are you going to edit this you know yeah no we've, we figured it out all right so uh want to quickly ask you about UFC 255 seemingly, uh, I don't know, maybe the least interest of any UFC pay-per-view uh, for as long as I can remember. The, oh, wow. I mean, there, well, are two, it, there, are, there are two title matches on it. It's just in, in weight classes that uh, don't have a lot of attention to them. Not a lot of depth to them, and they're not, they're not like, they're title matches, but, um, you know, Figurito, I mean, it's it's like, he's he's the champion in a weight class that never recovered from Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo both leaving. Mm-hmm. So now it's just kind of there with these guys and those two guys never lost. I mean, Demetrius lost to Cejudo, but he only lost once after all those years. And then he's gone into the Netherlands. And then um, Cejudo, you know, moved up away, won the title and then, you know, retired and everything. So even though he wants to, he still wants to fight. So it's kind of like it's 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 almost like a consolation prize championship. Um, and, you know, the contender is someone that nobody thinks about, you know, it's just and, and it was a change because of, you know, the first guy's, you know, being out. So it's kind of a weak headline. It's a really weak headliner marquee wise. I mean, the, maybe the weakest ever, you know, or uh, certainly I think maybe the weakest ever as far as name value headliner. Why is that fight the main event rather than the Shevchenko? Because at least I think I think more people know Shevchenko than they know Figueroa. 
Well, the thing with the difference is Figueredo is kind of like the consolation prize champion. And Shevchenko is, you know, probably what the second best woman fighter in the world behind Nunes or maybe Cyborg. I don't know. But but uh, absolute for sure. Dominant world champion. But she doesn't have a strong contender um, as far as, you know, I mean, not that Maya's not, um, not, you know, it's not it's not like she's a joke as a contender and she's stronger than than Perez. But um you know, it, it's it's still, you know, she she won a fight where she missed weight, and I, it's like I I don't know I I don't see her as I don't, I don't know that I see anyone um, as an opponent for Shevchenko that's going to beat her anyway, but um, it's yeah you know but but I think that you're right though I mean I think that as far as name value goes uh Figueredo versus Shevchenko I think it's Shevchenko by a lot and because of that she should be the main event yeah and I'm also thinking about how they have structured this card because if you have Figueredo and Perez which will probably be a better fight just from a like a competition standpoint I yeah, that's true I think Shevchenko you know that that, that there, there is an opportunity for her to really look strong in that fight. But if you put her in the main event, you 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 showcase her and you sort of make make it seem like she's a, a star. And then and she you should have, be. And then you have the Calvillo fight. And if Calvillo wins, then you have Calvillo come out at the end, and then you know they can try and market that as something. If yep. if that is the plan, I just I would just flip those main events the way that they have them right now. Um, I would too. I would too. So the other the the fight that I'm actually uh, outside of those two main events, uh, the Brandon's fight that that's a pretty interesting fight. That's if a you've good, watched those guys a, fight. That's a good fight. I think it's going to be really exciting. And you know what? I mean, the winner, um, uh, the winner could challenge for the championship. Um, I think you know you're pretty pretty good shot at that. I mean, when you look at the, there's not a lot of great contenders. So, um, and I, yeah, I think that the last couple times I've seen both guys, especially Roy Val, he looked really good last time out. So, um, yeah, I, I I I am looking forward to that fight. But again, the average person doesn't even know either guy. Yeah, yeah. The uh, so it seems like ESPN will probably get hurt a little bit with these next two shows, because even with Amanda Nunez and and Megan Anderson, it seems like that would be a little bit, you know, maybe not what what the average that they would get their money back. But they're going to make up for it at UFC 257 with Connor. Well, you know, Amanda's um, Amanda's out now. No, I know. I was saying, like, I know that she's out of the fight now, but even with her, it would still do sort of a lesser than buy oh, yeah. rate, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially because Megan Anderson has, has done nothing to deserve a championship match. It's just that there's nobody else in that division. So she's getting it. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, w- I was wondering what she would mean, uh, if she would mean anything, because she does have a pretty good social media profile. Like when it comes to Instagram, like she promotes herself really well on Instagram. But, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that means. But but yeah, you're right. The it was going to be a blowout fight, and yeah. um, but you know, on, on paper it's a blowout fight. You know, you never know. But yeah, it it, it would look that way. And then um, yeah, so now now that show doesn't have much either. So yeah, you know, you know, yeah. And then January it's probably what Connor and Dustin Poirier, which will be a you know a million by fight. Yeah. So the ESPN will make it up with that one and more. Uh, what would you do with Nunez? Like, you know, she she is sort of 
without peer. Uh, and I know that they've talked about Clarissa Shields and, and stuff but like that. Kill Clarissa Shields. Look, and, and, at, look at what look at what happened with Duranda May, who's been doing this for years and years and years and and probably could have beaten Nunez if it was just standing. So Nunez just took her down over and over. And, and a boxer with no, you know, isn't going to stop her takedowns. So and, 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 and again, and a boxer is I mean, it's like. Would she beat Nunez in a boxing match? Of course she would. Yeah. But but it's not a boxing match. It's a different type of striking and kicks are involved and things like that. And and it's Nunez's game. You you know, like it, with with years of training, you know, that's one thing. But but, you know, you take a boxer right out of boxing and put them against an MMA specialist. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's like taking a badminton player and trying to play tennis. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I don't you know, it's not the same sport. How, how do you get Kayla over to the UFC? I know she's a little bit bigger, but I wonder if they could make the weights work because she, well, she seems isn't Kayla's fighting for um, Invicta. Invicta at one forty five. She's not fighting at one fifty five. Yeah, and that's that's this coming week, right? So, but yeah, you got the contract issue now. Kayla, it might be early for her, but Kayla's got. Um, She's a good talker. She's got the two gold medals. She's got something. I mean, when I watch Kayla, I, I, you know, no one's seen her because she's been in PFL and it's so low profile. But when I watch her, I, I see a star. Um, and she's very strong, you know, from the judo. But like as a woman, she's a very strong, fit, uh, athletic woman, you know, who, um, you know, she's not like what I, what I call a great fighter. But um, but she's an incredible athlete. And in women's, you know, the, the depth and the, the level of women's fighting is not like men in the sense that if you get like a super most of these women are not super athletes. If you get a super athlete, they're going to have something. Um, yeah, it's Rhonda, right? Yeah, Rhonda, you know, and, and she was, you know, she was better in judo than Rhonda was. Um, I mean, she won two gold medals. Rhonda's peak was a, was a bronze. Um. Yeah, so I, I, I just that, like I was trying to think of you know who else is out there, and she's the one that stands out. I just don't know how they get her in there. Yeah, that's the contract problem. She's making a lot of money, or she you know with a million dollar tournaments, which she'll probably win again next year too. So it's like from her standpoint, financially, she's in a good spot because um, you know, um, and and at some point, you know, maybe after three years of tournaments. You know, she lets her contract go and then goes to UFC. And by then, like her Amanda, name, Amanda is, might be too old by then, though. That's and you know, and, and Amanda's already talked retirement. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. All right, two other things, quick things that I wanted to ask you about. So, have you have you seen this Retromania video game where your persona is is involved giving stars? I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. So you're not involved in any way? No, not at all. <laughs> Man. I, I know. I, I literally would know nothing about it except a couple of people have like tweeted, tweeted me. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not like contracted to this game. 
Interesting. I, like, I wonder how, how does that work? They can just take a, make a facsimile of you, and I don't know. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you think that that's like not a cool thing? Well, and and they, you know, it's a picture of you like crossing your arms. You're in like a gray uh, polo. It is clearly you. And then you're giving a star rating for a match after the match. Is yeah, over. you would you would think that's an interesting that's an interesting topic. But no, no. I mean, I've never been contacted by anyone from them or anything like that. They, they, I didn't know about it ahead of time. Nobody tipped me off off nothing hmm interesting uh, okay last thing so john and i have been talking about wcw 1992 pretty much for the last uh since july and so we get to halloween havoc 92 and i'm gonna read back what you wrote about that show and about bill watts and then i want to ask you a question based on on it so you said while watts pro- proclaimed that wcw is going back to wrestling the real deal and needing to bring credibility back to the product on his first pay-per-view show that he was willing to take full responsibility for previous shows. He was willing to blame his predecessors because wheels for those shows were in motion before he got there. Even though in the case of the bash, he was in charge from start to finish for all the television show, the buildup. We heard announcers talking about anti-venom, a snake chewing on a man's cheek, a string of rep bump finishes, a major no-show, the most blatant example of bait-and-switch advertising in recent pay-per-view history, and finishing off with the destruction of the credibility of every major singles title in the promotion. That show was really bad, but I was still surprised to see how strong you were in the following Observer in the language about Bill, because I know that you guys had talked, and I was wondering what his response was to your write-up for the Halloween Havoc, if you, if you remember. I'm sure he wasn't happy, but, um, you know, it was it was weird because you know the story of, of when Bill got the job and me and Bill talked for yeah. two hours, and the first thing I did was call Pillman up, and I said, like, this is not going to work because Bill was... I, I had no idea how much wrestling had changed because I'm in there every day. And then you take a guy, you know, and again, you know, Bill in the 80s was the guy. I mean, he was the guy. He understood booking better than anyone. And then you move him to 1992. And, and yes, there were some good concepts that he had. And he understood certain things lodged from a logical standpoint that others didn't because of his long experience and learning from Roy Shire and learning from Vern Gagne and learning from Blears and Ed Francis and, and Eddie Graham. Um, and just the fact that he's a really smart guy, but you just can't walk out and come back in years later without paying attention, you know, and then, you know, we see that over and over and over again. And I mean, and I'll tell you something with my, with Mike today and, and me to an extent, but Mike today even more than me, because I am working in it, but Mike is not, is that the reason Mike Tanay watches wrestling every week is because he knows he knows a lot about it. And he also knows that when he stops, it's going to pass him by, especially, you know, being being the age that he is and and being kind of, you know, aware of that and, and the fact that certain aspects of this wrestling as a fan does do not appeal to him, but you've got to pay attention to what the fans want as opposed to what you want. But um Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I mean, it was it was different in the 80s when you had when you were uh, the only game in town and you could kind of implement your rules and teach people your rules. But when you had when you're the number two company, I mean, you have to be 
way better than the number one company in, in every way. And, and, um, I don't know. Um, it was, it, it was like, like there's stuff that Bill did that made sense, but then there was other stuff that Bill did and, and his talent evaluation wasn't always the best because he, you know, I mean, it, he kind of reverted back to the previous bill, you know, as opposed to the bill on the bill with Bill Dundee, where Bill Dundee was really kind of on pulse and with a lot of things. And, um, and just the fan base had changed. So it was kind of, it was a sad thing watching Bill in that position to me because for years, you know, from, from 88 on when, when Jim Hurd took over the company, all I kept thinking is, is like, they got to get Bill in his booker. They got to get Bill in his booker because these bookers just don't have what Bill had. And then Bill comes in and then it was like, oh my God, it's like, it's been five years and it's a different it's a different business and it's a different world. And, and, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was sad. You know, it's like, um, you know, I, and I know Bill had a lot of fans because he talked really good and he did implement some good things. I mean, it wasn't all bad, but it didn't, it didn't work. I mean, I just remember like one, one day, you know, they had a bad television rating and, Somebody who was very close to Bill just called me and just goes, you know, I mean, it's like it, it just doesn't work. And, and, um, you know, and he was always at odds with all the talent, which before he would be a bully to the talent because he was the owner and, um, it was his way or the highway. And, and he was, he had a vision of what he wanted and that's what he wanted and that's what was going to happen. But with Turner, you know, where you have all these different people and all this talent that's making a lot of money, um, and, you know, it, it, it was a different set of problems. And he was not he was the football coach who, um, you know what I mean? Like, like was the legendary, you know, uh, bully football coach, mm-hmm. that, you know, and then, you know, the, the new generation comes in and they're just thinking differently. Can't relate. And, and they don't relate. And that's what Bill was in the 90s there, you know, where, you know, the um, I mean, I just remember, you know, even even Kim Wood, who was, you know, my good friend, the strength coach of the Bengals, when he started, he was the strength, the first strength coach, one of the first strength coaches in the NFL. And he would tell people how to work out and they would listen and this and that. And then, like, you know, 30 years, 25 years later, at the end of his run, you know, he's out there and everyone's got their personal trainer and they're not listening to what he has to say. And in his mind, it's like, I've studied this more than everyone put together. I know this. And then you got these guys, you know, Kim was anti-steroids just because of a a philosophical thing. And you got all these guys figuring out how to beat steroid tests Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to deal with them. And, and, And it was, you know, at the end, he couldn't deal with the talent, you know, and I mean, he was a good friend of mine and he would, he would tell me. And I mean, and, and Bill was, the same way. I mean, maybe not as righteous, but it was the same philosophy in the sense that you had, you know, had guys like Rick Rude and you had guys like Brian Pillman and you had guys like Scott Steiner. And these guys just they weren't going to listen to a bully. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. All right. Thanks, Dave, for hanging out with us. Um, again, I can't plug the show with Mike today enough. Check it out. All right. Let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. There were some crazy football games today. Kyler Murray throwing that touchdown to Hopkins with I was a one second remaining after Josh Allen just threw a great touchdown pass with like 30 seconds left. You can imagine if you had action on that game specifically that, you know, depending on which side you were, it was just insane. And so 
you know, we're not we're not live at games this year, but hopefully Bet Online helps you stay or at least feel like you're still in on the action. Uh you get in on their season opening bonuses uh, and you can start wagering on wins and divisions and championship futures and you can do that all day every day so head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses don't forget to use promo code bluewire at betonline.ag bluewire all in one word bet online your online sports book experts all right the november 14th 1992 episode of WCW Saturday Night, and as always, alongside with me is John LaRocca. John, this is the second two-and-a-half-hour version of WCW Saturday Night that we've had to review. Do you notice the extra, you know, 30 minutes or the extra 20 minutes without commercials or whatever when we're doing these? Because, like, when I mention it to you, you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't even know that it was it was longer than normal. No, because I I thought the show was actually pretty good and things were flowing pretty good and um I I I dug the show just you know I just thought it was a really well paced show and there was a segment cut off though remember there at one point they're like we're gonna talk to up close with Tony Doctor Death Dr. Death right? and yeah what happened I was like yeah and then bloop <laughs> <laughs> like they literally had like the quickest segment like Jim Ross and uh, uh, who was who doing commentary with this? That was Larry Zabisco. Oh, Larry, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Larry, and they're just, like, talking, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, commercial break, and it's back to whatever. So that was, that was very, very strange, but I don't know why, like, the next cut show, out. The next show, also, they, uh, they talk about, or they show the little graphic that says, you know, that this show is the best that we can do because of technical difficulties mm-hmm. of the original yeah. recording. So I, I'm, I don't know what's, I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on there. Weird. All right. So JR and Larry Zabisco together. Jake the Snake's gone. So he's not going to have his match tonight with Dustin Rhodes. He is in rehab. Mm-hmm. And Bill Watts mentions that he's no longer working for WCW. And I think the story is, is that. Uh, Jake went into rehab and because he went into rehab, he missed some dates and because he missed those dates, then Watts was able to void the contract. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the wrestling business is, uh, the wrestling business, but that was the way for him to get out of that contract. And so Jake is no longer, and they mention it. They're, they're very honest. They don't say what Jake is not there for, but they said that he's got some stuff going on and that he's no longer with WCW. Well, you can kind of get what Watts is saying when he wished him the best and he hopes he gets the help he needs. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I know it sounds really cool blooded, but Watts did, but you know, Jake's also been before just these dates, not just because rehab, but before he's missed some dates too, because of his, uh, actions outside the ring. So I think maybe Watts just, Honestly, what are you going to do? You know, you had enough. But his one of Watts's best friends is, you know, in the business is Grizzly Smith, his loyal one of his loyal right hand men. So that's you know, Grizzly Smith, of course, is Jake Roberts' dad. So you know, it wasn't a, a full full burial because he did wish him best. You know, but yeah. And I wonder, do you think he would have came back if Watts was still there in '93? I wonder if he would have got another shot, or, or, or Watts was just done with him at this. I don't point. even remember what he does. Does he do like he Smoky Mountain, Mexico? Well, I think he does Mexico because he because he gets his head shaved, and I remember he did Smoky Mountain, 
but he also missed dates with just Wookiee Mountain, and they end up, you know, firing him from Cornet. Never used him again because of that. So, uh, you know, Jake, you know, Jake's problems are well documented. So maybe, maybe, maybe Watson wouldn't have brought him back in '93. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, we we're talking about how he's still a great promo, but at the end of the day, he he doesn't move very well, and and the the mattress thing was very much about Jake and Sting being able to tell a story, but it's not like Jake was able to do anything in that match. It was very much... He's still a master psychologist. Yeah, like, it was very like, all psychology. Oh yeah, that's 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 his deal, and he's he was great at it. And he had great matches. Like I really liked his matches. Dustin Rosie had on the, one of the Saturday nights we reviewed. I thought that match was really good, and I actually liked the Sting Holland Havoc match until the finish. I mean, other than that, the before that, I thought they did a really good job, and and I forgot how good that match was. But it stands out to always is that match. As you think about that that wacky finish that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, the first match is Van Hammer against Mustafa Saeed. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember Mustafa Saeed being in WCW at any point, even in this role. Yeah, he, he was a job guy on, on TV. He's out in Georgia, and I, I'm guessing, I wonder who trained him. Was it Blackwell? I think I'll look that up. But um, yeah, this is pre- Pre uh, obviously pre gangsters with New Jack and Smoky Mountain, um, um, he looked great. I thought he did a he has a unique sell when it kind of shakes and and I don't know what kind of character he did on the Indies right if, or how he Mustafa's character was portrayed, but here he's just you know green boots, red uh, green tights, red boots. Um, he took one hell of a backdrop though, dude. That was like whoo man, that was in the lights as they say. <laughs> Um, there was a funny moment where Van Hammer throws him out to the floor and, he, and, and, and Mustafa is like waiting for Van Hammer to come at him and grab him to pull him back up. But like Van Hammer forgets to go grab him. So Mustafa's like sitting there looking at him and it's like a weird like moment in time where like things stood still and finally Van Hammer's like, oh yeah, I gotta go and go get him. And, <laughs> and I don't even know, but I don't know why he even did a sunset flip Mustafa see as a heel was kind of kind of weird but um i think Mustafa did a great job with him here and you know van hammer looked pretty you know pretty good um you know Mustafa, i got to work with him in uh apw oh yeah booked him for a couple gym war shows and really awesome guy really nice guy huge man like he's just big like just big and thick and you know i'm a big guy too like you know six two but <laughs> <laughs> no nah, i'm not that tall but uh he's i just remember just being like i remember just, i met the first time i met him I'm like man like oh shit that guy's huge you know like and here i am hey man that's what you're gonna do you know like and, mm-hmm. uh, but no he was hella cool and and wrote up he's, he was living in sacramento and wrote up with some of the talent from coming from sacramento and happy to be there just didn't care what he did just wanted to have fun and be around the boys and uh really really great guy really genuine guy and enjoyed enjoyed talking to that guy in the back all right so um uh, Van Hammer wins with the uh, slingshot suplex. The Hammer Rocks suplex, by the way, it's called. <laughs> so, um, Barbarian takes Jake's place against Dustin, and that will be the main event of the show. The next match is the Vegas Connection. So, 
DDP and Kevin Nash as uh, Vinny Vegas against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Shane Douglas. I thought this was a really fun match. Really good. Uh, and uh, Steamboat, you know, this is a showcase so that cause Steamboat and Shane are going to face the tag team champions at the Clash. Steamboat off the top rope with a high cross, and then Douglas gets on all fours so that as Vinny Vegas sort of struggles, he's, he, he catches Steamboat, but he's kind of off balance. And then Shane Douglas is right underneath him, clips his legs as he, he falls back. Steamboat pins him with the one, two, three. And then we get a really good Ricky the Dragon Steamboat promo. Mm-hmm where he talks about Shane Douglas being the best partner that he's ever had, which upsets Dustin. You know, Steamboat reminds Dustin that, you know, he he was there uh, for him last year when Barry wasn't. And uh, I just thought it was a really fun setup. And when, you know, even though you have uh, Sting and Vader, when it just came to off of this TV show, what match did I think was most accentuated from this TV show? It was this tag team match to me. Yeah, this match is really good. I love this match. And they even have another match in early 93 that's pretty good. So good, I remember Justin Nipper just messaged me one day. We were talking about 93 WCW. And he was like, there's a really good match between Rick Steamboat and Shane Douglas in the Vegas Connection. And uh, here they have a match again here, of course. And um, it was really good. The finish surprised me because I didn't think, I thought for sure, okay, Dallas Page is taking the fall, right? But the way they did it with the flying crossbody on Nash and trip up by Shane Douglas, even though he got pinned, uh, Vinny Vegas, I think it still protected him a little bit, right? Showed that it took two guys to beat him. Um, there was one moment in the match where Vegas like, was trying to club Shane Douglas, but completely missed him. But then, but it really recovered. Um, this really shows you what a psychologist Steamboat is. I'm sure he's the one that laid us all out. Um, you know, Steamboat's one of the greatest baby faces of all time, one of the greatest technicians, entering performers, whatever you want to say. And as a singles, people remember all his great matches, but like as a tag team guy, he is freaking brilliant. You know, of course his legendary team with uh, Jay Youngblood. I love this team with Dustin Rhodes. And even here with Shane Douglas, he did a great job too. So um, really, really well done match. And that segment at the end with the, the with the, uh, the interview with, I really dug it. I was like, I was like, man, I'm pumped for the, again for this tag team main event coming out the Clash Champions. So I can't wait to rewatch that match. Um, everyone played their part really well here. This is this was a like this was a this was a pretty good show overall. I thought. I don't know what you thought, but like I thought for sh- things are cooking. Like I think Watts is starting to get together creatively at least with this with this show. I mean, there were some fun. I, I just the two and a half hour. Like I sometimes I think the two hour version is a little long, uh, but the two and a half hour version, for whatever reason, it may just be the 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 number that I know that I got to count down from that kind of because I have a set time to catch up on this stuff. Then I go, oh no, I got another twenty minutes. So that may be my own frustration with that. Mm-hmm. But that that segment specifically was really good. So then we get uh, Eric Watts. And Chris Sullivan, and this is where Eric Roth, well, Eric Watts gets to showcase his STF, and he wins with the STF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good match, a good squash match. Um, Chris Sullivan's a very underrated hand out there, good quality job guy. So, um, you know, they put him with Watts, and, you know, that's good for Watts, and they made him look good, and everything looked Looks fine. I I like the SDF finisher as a, as a move. I just I missed that fireman's carry slam he did. I thought that, that move was sweet. 
And then the next match is uh, Shanghai and Tex against Keith Cole and Joe Barrett at Tex and Shanghai win with their clothesline and then tag out that elbow drop finisher. Um, um, yeah, Keith, Keith, Keith oh, Cole and, and Joe Barrett, they got a little bit more than your normal enhancement talent would get in, in a match. Yeah, yeah, they're giving him some offense. Keith Cole's not bad, you know, and they you know, they end up get he ended up getting a push a little bit with his in 90, early ninety three with his twin brother, the Cole twins. Um, so here's Keith Cole looking good, looking good. Um, Joe Bear, Jim Bear, I had Jim Bear down. I don't know if his name was Joe Bear, or Jim Bear, but anyways, he was the shit. So should we call him Jim the shit, <laughs> Bear the shits because that poor guy was just. He was like not selling. He was like bouncing back to his feet like right away. And I'm like, dude, stay down. Let let them grab you. And he was fighting back too much. And his his stuff looked really bad. He's, you know, he should have just took a ass beating. And you know, I don't know if you could tell, but that clothesline that Shanghai Pierce gave him right before the finish was a little bit uh, a little bit oomph on that extra. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, it, and this is. This is the start of the, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll never not hear this now, but the crowd at center stage loved Tex Lassager. So every time he hits the guy, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. So you'll, and this is the start of it. And it's come almost like the Shaw from the, remember Hack Myers and ECW. But I, I don't know if they're just mocking him, but they're, for some reason, they come off like the most overtaxed team in center stage because of the way they, the fans react to Tex Lassager. So then we get the announcement that Cactus Jack and Harley Race are barred from ringside in the two King of Cable qualifying matches. Uh, Bill Watts just came out. And there's like no reason. He's like, oh, they're just banned. They're, it, it's, we're just not going to allow them. And Harley, he'll say in an interview later with Vader, he's like, what the hell? This is the entire reason why he employs me is to be out there. But then he goes. Um, he'll he'll be fine. <laughs> he'll be fine by himself. But still, yeah. and so there like there was no reason. I, I mean, I mean, just other than that, they're heels and that they've interfered and stuff before. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I like it though. I like it. I think it's a cool little thing. It just shows that there's some authority here. There's some there's some law and order, and and I'm okay with the segment. And then uh, Jr. interviews Rick Rude who faces Sting at the Clash in the King of Cable, the next uh, semifinals. So Austin, Eaton, and Anderson come out to, to kind of get his back. Rude says that he should be the man and not Sting. Ever since he came to WCW, everyone talks about Sting. Sting gets all the chances. Even though Rude's the U.S. champion, which makes him the number one contender, he doesn't get as many chances as Sting. Then JR goes... We got a little split screen action, and I'm going to throw it to Sting. Unfortunately, they didn't get their cues necessarily uh, correct because Teddy Long is there with a mic. And when JR's like, let's throw it to Sting, Teddy Long is the one who accepts it from JR. So there's a little bit of funkiness going on there, but I get that. Sometimes, you know, when we do podcast stuff, I'll go, okay, Justin, I'm going to throw it to you. We're not doing it live. We want it to sound like it's live. So yeah. I get that. I get that part. 
Yeah, well, well, I'm glad that Teddy Long was there. I, I, I we kind of be kind of weird. He just sting just there. I like that interview guy there, you know, with him. So that that was cool. I mean, maybe they didn't know who it was going to be, and Jr. was just like, "Oh, let's go to Sting." And then, yeah, I mean, he didn't know it was on the on the format. But uh, I like what happened after that. Sting walked up in front of him. That was that was awesome. Yeah. So Sting comes out and he brings his own. Uh, group. So he's got Ron Simmons, he's got Van Hammer, he's got Barry, and he's got Dustin. And then he says something to Rude. Uh, he gets bleeped twice. I don't know exactly what he said, but it really pissed Rude off. Rude's he's, like, what? He said dick. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, because Richard, I don't know if they call you Rick or Richard, but uh, oh yeah, yeah, dick, yeah, right? yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, no, this was great, and then Rick Rude freaking out. I mean, he takes out takes it out on poor Bob Cook. I know who's in the ring. We don't know why he was in the ring because he wasn't in maybe any he of was the matches. In the next match of the Battle of the Underdogs, but they had to replace him. They didn't say that though. They just yeah, had a yeah, match. Yeah, yeah. But why Bob Cook? Because he bumped so well for these guys. Like beat up. They should have beat up fucking Ian Weston who came up next. <laughs> oh my god, uh, Ian Weston. We'll get in. We'll get into that. But this was freaking awesome and i was thinking like what i also liked about the segment too is like they brought up history between sting and rude because it's just a year ago at the november clash in 1991 that rick rude beat sting for the u.s title and that he still holds to this day it's been a year now um and i just thought that was so awesome that watts i don't know who it was watts itself or maybe jim ross but like bringing up history like history between dustin rose and rick steamboat history between sting and rick rude just was and was great and rude freaking out like i know he had a hard time getting that that dress shirt off you know like handcuffing him and the, it, the tie but it just felt real at like him doing that right like yeah. and because he, he, he was so frustrated and who's gonna say he looked like a dork man because he's gonna kill us all right like yeah um just a plus stuff man i was like so now i'm like dude i'm pumped to see steamers rude at the clash too so uh, for this clash I, I i only remember a few matches and i don't remember being that hyped on the whole show i'm kind of pumped for this show but i know there's some some gaga coming up so <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Ian Weston and, and John Peterson in the Battle of the Underdogs. And I, I did write, like, where's Bob Cook? Was he supposed to be in this match? I'm kind of frustrated that he got jacked out of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Ian Weston is really bad. He's really green. He was nervous as hell. You could tell. Poor guy was nervous. And I understand, you know, it's his, you know, he's going over on a national you know a cable television show that's being watched by x amount of people and he was freaking out and the wrong guy won it should have been john peterson who's a pretty solid worker actually i was hoping it was gonna be bob cook and and john peterson would have had a decent match between those guys maybe because they didn't have the body you know you know like like the ian weston had mm-hmm. who was i mean did he ever do anything no he just he just did jobs um, I don't think he ever really broke out. And same thing with John Peterson. John Peterson was just a reliable job guy. He was uh, would team a lot with um, Chris Sullivan and Larry Santos. Three guys are really, really um, solid job guys. And um, yeah, so that it was it was not good, <laughs> but it was short. Thank God. And I just felt bad for John Peterson, who I thought man was doing his best to kind of keep this thing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I noted was there seemed to be a lot of edits on this show. Like Jr. Mm-hmm. would throw to something, and then it would just come back to Jr. So much like the Doctor Death thing, like there were other opportunities there where I was like, "Oh, 
something happened and they just decided to remove it or whatever. Yeah, weird. Weird. I don't know why. We'd love to find out from the uh, the network people. We got to get our crack team on that and yeah. see if they can figure it out. I, 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 it could be something as simple as like music that they used mm. or whatever, too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right. So we had Flying Brian versus the Freedom Fighter who looked to be Brad Armstrong in a mask. And Flying Brian even said that that's who it was. Kind of a fun match where, you know, Pillman, he's he knows that this person is not uh, just a, a random wrestler. He knows it's someone who's really good. And the story of the match is that Pillman, his normal... Uh, counters aren't working. Like he, he would get that thing where he'd do the back elbow mm-hmm. and like Brad Armstrong scouted it as the freedom fighter. So Pillman's just frustrated. He's like, what the hell? Like all these moves that I usually do, they don't work. Uh, Pillman finally did get the upper hand, but then they went into a, um, they went to a double count out. And at the end, Pillman not being the dumb heel, he's like, I'm sure that's Brad Armstrong. Like, are you kidding? Like, that is absolutely who that was. And then yeah. they're gonna have a they're gonna have a match at the Clash. This was a weird segment on this show because wouldn't the point be that Brad reveals that he is under the mask and it never happened? Up? Never happened. He just like gave a look, like a, as the referees and security is pulling Freedom Fighter away after the the pull apart the double count finish. He just like gives a stare, like I've got, like, but but like. It just didn't make sense. Like, I think it should have been... They had a good match, right? The match itself was good, but I think it should have been shorter where, you know, Pillman's like, he should have a promo before the match saying how on the Clash, he's going to destroy Brett Armstrong and send him to the hospital again. And he says all that post-match in a promo, but he should be really cocking the air again. I'm going to teach this this geek in the ring. I'm going to show Brett how it's done, and I'm going to send this guy to the hospital. And instead of being all black... And looking like a heel with the mask, like they should have given him some kind of like ridiculous looking costume, like mm-hmm. where it's like you think it's just a total geek. They didn't call him like the pink flamingo or something like that, you know, like the, <laughs> or just uh, you know, start, get, get out the old star blazer gear that mm-hmm. Tim Horner wore and just, just, or maybe a, a you know, and just have him like overconfident pillman go in there and kind of toy with this guy and then. Brad Armstrong is letting him be toyed with, right? Let him so he can get a false sense of security for Brian Pillman. And then he just fires those drop kicks. Boom, 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 backdrop, big right hand, figure on the top rope. Pillman's like, what the hell? Who is this guy? And he reveals himself as be Brad Armstrong. He's like, yeah, sucker, I'm going to kick your ass at the Clash of Champions. And he, mm-hmm. Pillman just walks away. And then, you know, like th- what we got was a good match and a really confusing ending, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't, it wasn't. Like and there was and, no payoff. Yeah, there was no payoff, and it just felt like, oh, let's move on because we have other stuff to get to, and they never mm-hmm. mentioned it ever again. Yeah, yeah. There's no no review, no promo. Maybe there was, but I mean, things were cut out. But there's no yeah. like promo with Brian Armstrong. So Ron Simmons comes out. No Robbie Walker. So at some point, Walker was fired. But I'm not exactly sure why or what happened to Did cause Did he just knee those two? Knee injury? I don't know. But he was fired here? That's what the... Say, I read in the Observer that he was fired. But there was... Like, Dave didn't say anything else other than that he was fired. May was fired for that performance last week with Buddy Lee Parker. <laughs> so, yeah, there were some bad ones. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, there's this stipulation about this... Uh, 
what do they call it? The ghetto ghetto odds match. Yeah, ghetto odds match. So it's it's going to be a two on three. Ron Simmons. It was going to be Ron Simmons and Robbie Walker versus Cactus, um, Tony Atlas, and the Barbarian. But now that Robbie Walker is not there. This is where Scorpio comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So Scorpio comes in here. But just, you know, the idea that they're selling it as a ghetto odds match probably wasn't very tasteful in 1992, and it just just seems completely out of whack in Mm -hmm. 2020. But I will say, beyond the subject matter, I thought this was one of Braun's better promos. He was fired up. He was fired up. Um, I guess... He mentioned that it was going to be another brother that he's going to get. The, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man. But uh, <laughs> I never personally booked a ghetto odds street fight. So a ghetto odds match. <laughs> I didn't know how to really promote that. So, uh, and I like to bring back old stuff. But the ghetto odds, I kept it in the, I kept it in the drawer. Didn't want to bring that one. <laughs> so Scotty Flamingo against Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Uh, this is really a setup for Scotty Flamingo against Johnny B. Bad. Uh, Flamingo wins because he pulls brass knucks out of his tights. Though, when the match starts, isn't the 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 referee's checking the boots? He's not necessarily checking the tights, though. I don't know. You would you would think brass knucks kind of would stick out, but maybe Flamingo was hiding them somewhere a little bit where you couldn't find them. But he pulls pulls the knucks out of his tights, and then he blasts Bagwell with them, hits Bagwell. And that has Johnny B. Bad coming out. And Johnny B. Bad comes out with a boxing gloves on. So he was like training or something, hitting a heavy bag or something. And he wants Flamingo to wear boxing gloves. And he's like, come on, let's go right now. Let's put on the gloves. And if you're Flamingo and you just use knucks, why would you put on gloves to, to face Johnny B. Bad? But Johnny B. Bad's like, screw this. I'm throwing a drop kick, even though I have my boxing gloves on. So he drop kicks him and he cuts a promo about his boxing career. Uh, Johnny B. Bad, he's ready to throw some Dukes and he throws that left hook kind of, uh, you know, in his shadow boxing with those fast hands. Mm -hmm. It just seems so weird in in the character of Johnny B. Bad. Well, he's a former New York State Gold Gloves champion, right? A, so I guess he has that boxing background. Like, no, no, no. Like his boxing is amazing, but mm. just the idea Drop that kick. he's like, as Johnny B. Bad, he's talking about his amateur career and yeah. never getting knocked yeah. out and stuff. Yeah. It just it just was kind of a little weird. Yeah, I thought the match between Bagwell and Flamingo was, was good. I like the finish with the brass knucks to build to this boxing match. Um, the Johnny B. Bad coming out with two pairs of gloves was a little bit of gaga, but <laughs> the crowd was shit. I mean, the crowd was eating it up, though, right? I mean, they were going, they were fired up for it. And the reason for the drop kick is because you don't want the payoff of the knockout, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to, he had to do something because he can't. He can't hit him. Well, he maybe he should that is geared back for a big right or the big left hook, excuse me, the kiss that don't miss, baby. And he gears back to deliver it, but then Flamingo should bail, right? Instead of being drop kicked out, I think that would have been cool. But yes, Flamingo had to take that bump out of the ring right on the steps, and he rolls onto uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Rhubarb Jones's lap, and <laughs> it's just uh, it's kind of a you know, risky little bump there. I'm, I'm sure he just didn't even realize the steps were there and. You know that that would not that probably wasn't fun for uh, old Scott Anthony. All right, and then we get the segment with Paul E. He is coming out. He's about to have his workout. Mm-hmm. 
it comes out with uh, P.S. Hayes and Stone Cold or Stunning Steve. They're in the ring. Mike Thor is the person that Paulie is having this exhibition training match or whatever with. And P.S. Hayes is like, look, we don't want any you know, any shenanigans like, you know, don't have to worry. And then like, you know, there, need, there doesn't need to be any hair pulling. And then he pulls Thor's hair. And so uh, Thor is, is getting played for the fool here. And so then, uh, Heyman throws a right hand that barely budges Thor. And then Heyman turns around and thinking that he actually did something great. And it's Austin who punches Thor and knocks him down. And Heyman turns around seeing that, you know, this guy's now on the ground. And he comes off the rope, elbow drop, and he pins Mike Thor. And then this leads to him just going after Medusa, making her cry, just being the meanest person alive. She cries so hard that she gets so mad and now she wants to fight him, and she chases him throughout the crowd. Yeah, Medusa was a little off in her promo, but I thought her um, her passion and like her reaction w- w- was pretty good. But uh, the the promo part was a little weird. But I thought you know I was like, oh, I want to see Medusa kill this dude. Yeah, she always misses something in her promos. She <laughs> yeah. always kind of screws something up, but. <laughs> the motion was there. You want to see her kick his ass. The crowd's eating us up. I know Watts for some reason wants to get rid of Polly and he thinks it's going to embarrass him. And sure enough, it it's, you know, embarrassing thing to get, I guess. And you know, just for a man to get beat by a woman, as they say, right. For uh, his, his ego's character, but I still, God, I still think they could have done this and they could have done something with Polly and Watts too. And mm-hmm. yeah, drew some money with that. But, um, but so you know these segments have been great. You know I don't I don't remember being a fan of it as a you know back then because I think I just wanted to watch the wrestling between the wrestlers and I didn't really want to care. I didn't really care for this kind of stuff. But you know looking back now, you know I just thought yeah it's really good and um, Paulie's just great. And we uh, you didn't point out one of the best part of the segments was that he's out there with of course Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, and Michael Hayes, and I believe Bobby Eaton as well. And they're like one by one, like, okay, man, this is too far, man. Because, <laughs> you know, they're still cool with Melissa because he's, you know, they're still, you know, they're not the Dangerous Alliance is not really a solid unity as yeah. before, but they still have some history and Medusa's helped them out and they have some respect for her and what she's done for, for Rick Rude. And so they're like, wait, this is too far. And Arnold Anderson, the last guy to leave, he's like, this is too much, man. He just walks out and then, you know, Paul, he dangerously looks around and she, he goes, oh, shoot, I'm alone and I'm, I'm with this woman that's going to rip my head off. So I thought everything was great. The whole sparring match thing was great. I felt bad for my boy, Mike Thor, because, you know, I don't want to see him in this position as a total geek, but, you know, he did his job well and <laughs> it was so good, man. This is good stuff. Like I said, I think Watts is, I mean, this TV show at least is really on a nice creative streak here. All right. So then we have beautiful Bobby. We, we had the Harley interview, but I already mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful Bobby against Kensuke Sasaki. You would think that this 
was like sort of a, a dream match uh, and it was fine, but it, it, they, they weren't necessarily perfectly on the same page. And even when Sasaki went for his finisher, it did not look that good at all. Mm. Um, but there was a DQ that, that happened. Uh, PS Hayes was getting involved and Sasaki was having to go, you know, one on two. But then as he hits his finisher, Arn comes in for the DQ and uh, then Bagwell and Watts have to come and make the save. And once Watts comes in, everybody powders, which was kind of funny because, uh, you know, it's Watts and that's what they're doing with him. He's he's but they had, he had Bagwell with him. Yeah, but Bagwell just lost and got knocked out by uh, true. brass knucks or whatever. That's a plot hole. And that, this creative streak by Will Watts is all screwed up now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Bobby Eaton didn't really know how to take that judo throw. No. But they, sh- well, he, if that was the case, he should have just been like, you know what? You got anything else? And Sasaki throws that awesome power slam, which he hasn't showcased yet. At least I don't remember him showcasing it. And uh, it's like Rick Steiner level like awesome power slam i don't know they don't want him doing the power slam because of steve williams but that's the two different versions of power slam so to, you know but hey man you might laugh at watts coming out and then bowing out but the crowd man the crowd's into this the, the center stage crowd loves eric watts versus uh paul lee and the gang so yeah i thought uh i thought it was still pretty good overall then we had <laughs> Tony Wasn't that as good as I good as I remember? <laughs> Versus Vader. This one was rough. Wait, okay. Can Atlas walk anymore? What's okay. going on? Was Atlas... Was he chafing? I, 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 don't make, I don't want to make any claims. Was he not on something during this match? Ooh, I didn't even think about that. I thought maybe he was chafing the way he was walking or his knees were bad. Because um, even like his reaction to stuff was like so delayed. And I don't know if like, well, it's almost like he didn't know he was, who was the baby face? Uh, he didn't know how to react no, to certain things. Yeah, there's, I know this is a weird, this is a, this is a heel for heel match. So it, it was supposed to be just a two guys slugging it out, two big guys slugging it out. I think what happened was this, he, Alice had one big spot they were going to give him, and that was when Vader did the big Vader splash. Not and the Vader. Caught him. Not the, like the stinger splash, the avalanche splash in the corner. Alice was supposed to catch him, I think either body slam or maybe come out with the fall down power slam. I think he never had him. I think, you know, Vader basically held up because he's holding himself on the ropes in the corner with with Atlas. I don't think they he never really had a grip. So I think they kind of I think Vader said, fuck it. I'm going over anyways in a minute here in anyways. And he just jumped down, getting the big clothesline and then the big splash because poor Atlas is not going to go up for that power bomb, you know, and mm. probably not safely. So, um I mean, it, I, for some reason, I, had, I thought this match was better than when I remembered as a kid, but it just. It just, yeah, wasn't that good? Yeah, it it was. I almost felt bad at certain points for Atlas because he just seemed to be like either hurting or way off or not really understanding. You know, he maybe has, his limitations. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not even a knee thing. Maybe it's a back thing because he's you know like he he's walking around either like a, like a, like has a stiff back or something, mm-hmm. right? And it's but he's I feel like he's been doing that since like '86 and <laughs> WWF is like the last run he had where he was just being a jobber to the stars kind of gimmick. So yeah. All right. So the match is uh, supposed to be 
Dustin versus Barbarian. And as they do an interview, Dustin is attacked by Cactus Jack in the back and leaves him laying, throws him in the locker and all that. And Cactus comes out to JR and he's like, we won. Like, <laughs> match should be over if Dustin can't answer the call. Then they go to commercial JR and Larry Zabisco talk about how, you know, we're going to go to one more commercial. We're going to give him a chance to see if he can, he can wrestle. Lo and behold, the great baby face Dustin Rhodes answers the bell. Hell yeah. Uh, fights from behind this entire match, takes advantage of Barbarian missing a shoulder block into the corner, rolls him up, wins the match, and Dustin, uh, at the end of the show, Dustin is the babyface hero beating all of the bad guys who were cheating and everything. And cool, cool. Uh, be, uh, they're not doing the, the Dustin Vader match at Clash. Yeah. Be, uh, that, that's going to be saved for the next episode of Saturday Night. And it makes sense because Barbarian's in the Ghetto Odds match with Ron Simmons, so you can't have... You don't want to do that. Um, you don't want to give up that result, right? Like, yeah. So, um, I like this match. This match is really good. I wish the finish was the bulldog because I know they're probably protecting Barbarian a little bit there. But I think it's you know this is a case where you, you know you got hey man hey Barbie you gotta take the you gotta take you gotta take the finisher because. Dustin's going against Vader, and we want to make the f- people believe that once he gets that bulldog on anyone, even a big badass like you, you're going to be pinned, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if he can get on Vader, he has a chance with on Vader too. Um, I think I love the tease of it, the tease of the bulldog, and he got shoved off. But I think he should have came back sometime down the, for the finish and hit that bulldog for the win. I honestly, it would be nice if like maybe Cactus tried to interfere, and there's a moment where you know. Barbarian tries to O'Connor roll Dustin and Cactus is going to take a shot at Dustin as he get, comes into him. But then Dustin reverses it and knocks Barbarian into to, to Cactus. They, you know, Cactus to bump off the apron to the floor. Now Barbarian's kind of reeling and here comes the big bulldog. One, two, three, you know, or, or maybe Cactus is still on the apron holding onto the ropes. And here comes Wyndham that, I'm sorry, Barry, Dustin Rhodes with a big bulldog. And at the same time, he drop kicks, you know, Cactus Jack off the apron to the floor. Like I thought something a little hotter would have been cool to finish the show off with. Um, but other than that, I thought the wildest match, the beginning, the middle, and it was really good. I really liked the story they were telling and the work they were doing. And also we kind of skipped over it, but I really liked the interview with Barry Windham before the match. Too, oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. We're... You know, he's full supportive of Dustin Rhodes' involvement in this tournament, even though they are tag team champions and they got a big match at the Clash. Nice little swerve there was what's going to eventually happen between those two. So I thought that was a nice, well-placed little uh, interview to do there. So that was really good. And yeah, and that is it. So the only other thing uh, about this time in The Observer was that Nikita who was supposed to be in the Thanksgiving... What, what, what was it? Were they in the Thunderdome? Thunderdome? Thunderdome, yeah. Uh, he's not in it. They replaced him with Van Hammer. And Dave says that he is currently out with a hernia. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think he got that with the, in the match with uh, Vader, the yeah. Powerbomb. Yeah. And uh, so who replaced Jake Roberts in that Thunderdome match? Because I'm sure he was involved in that. He was involved because they kept talking about it in the show, the, night, the show before. 
Again, I want to go back. I wanted to go back and read that the zombie uh, Domni uh, uh, Thanksgiving results for that night too, because it sounded kind of cool. Like you know, hey, Bill, like War Games ish match, and they do that Thunderdome match, the Clash January ninety three. They do that match, and that same one, it gets all well. It's, it changes like a billion times because people are getting hurt and cheating baby face, and it gets kind of wacky, but. Uh, yeah, they're trying to they're trying to pop a house on Thanksgiving with the uh, Thunderdome. I wonder how it did too. I wonder what the draw was. All right, let's see if I can find something about it here. Um, I I do know that uh, Orndorff is coming in, mm-hmm. so that'll be kind of yes. fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see. No, I can't find anything about it, unfortunately. Uh yeah, so maybe maybe if uh if I remember maybe we'll talk about it next week because I thought I saw it, but there's a there's a couple different um there's a couple different observers that I was looking at, so it might may not have been. Yeah, so Orndorf comes one. back and he's gets kind of put in quickly into the the mix on top heel side and he he came back from Smoky Mountain. He was doing stuff with Smoky Mountain returning and looking good and so he got himself a a job back with WCW after kind of like a failed babyface run in 1990, you know, just didn't really catch fire or it seemed awkward too. When does the famous uh flip-flops fight with Vader happen? Oh, that's ninety five because that's what oh, so that we that that's that's far away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's what an agent by then. He's like you know because he has that neck surgery and he's or he just can't wrestle anymore because the deterioration of his neck. Which I always I always think about him with my neck. You know, like I feel like I'm gonna have like a Orndorff arm, <laughs> like you know. So hope not. But uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So the only um, the only thing that Dave had mentioned in the Observer was that they were going to have to have a mystery partner, obviously, because mm-hmm. uh, Jake was not able to be in that uh, in that match. So I do have a little bit more information on Robbie Walker. So apparently, he got his booking sheet and found out he didn't have any bookings after the clash. And he must have figured out his role at the clash was to get destroyed. So he bailed, and that's why he left. I wonder if his uh, uncle told him, they're going to job you, man. They're going to mess with you. You got to don't do it. So, oh, well, Robert Walker had a good look, good, good looking athlete, but just had two left feet in there. And just the only other thing I can find is actually the week before the Thunderdome match. And Meltzer thinks that Barry Windham is replacing Jake on the heel side while Dustin replaces Nikita on the face side. Yes. Yes. That makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler alert about the clash of the champions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. So that is it. Uh, And uh, you know, we'll, like I said, we're, we will be back. We got a lot of stuff coming up. We have, our normal Thursday night, Friday morning show, and we'll talk uh, about AEW and NXT and whatever else happens. And then the following Monday, so a week from today, we'll have a little bit on The Clash, and then we'll have that WCW Saturday night. And then on Thanksgiving, I mentioned this on our last show, 
that we're going to do 1996 Survivor Series in lieu of having a normal show on that night. Because we'll pre-record it because we're going to hang out with our families on Thanksgiving. But we'll still at least put something in that feed on our normal feed. And then when we come back for... Uh, for our uh, Monday stuff, we're gonna have to figure out. We'll have to figure out how we're gonna do the WCW because we'll we'll basically have missed one show, so we'll have mm-hmm. to like do one or then do two or or Just whatever. We'll, we'll figure yeah. it out, but you won't you won't miss it. We'll still get through every WCW Saturday night through uh, through the year of 1992 before we move on and talk about 97 Raw. So. Can't believe you're leaving me hanging on a Thanksgiving. Yeah, Mac. the the. The security or the retreat of a just the calmness of our <laughs> podcast might I might need it after <laughs> the wildness and the yelling and the talking loud and all that. Well, stuff. The, I, I would do it I generally, but I'm just going to be in Arizona, so it's just going to be harder. And I'd need to find like a room and a mic and a computer, and my setup would not be the same. So, God, I understand. I'm just giving you crap. Yeah, so yeah, we'll be back, but we'll have so much stuff. So I don't think people will be too bothered by uh, anything. I think you know we'll have shows, and it may not be exactly the same for that week, but we'll we'll still have a ton of stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right, want to thank Dave and thank John for jumping on with me this week. In the middle of the week, we're gonna have an interview with Andreas Hale. He from many podcasts and he writes a bunch of things. He has an upcoming book project with Shea Serrano that uh, will be out shortly. And yeah, so we're going to bring him on. So for Dave and John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.